Hello, I'm Glennis Lukey. I attend the 9am service. Today's sermon reading comes from 1 Timothy, chapter 5, verse 17, to chapter 6, verse 2. The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, Do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. Those who sin are to be rebuked publicly so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favouritism. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious and even those that are not cannot be hidden. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them even better, because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and urge on them. Hi everyone and welcome to our podcast today. It's great to have you with us. My name's John Thorpe. I'm the minister here at City Anglican. Let me pray as we get into this passage. Dear Lord, we thank you for our fellowship together. We thank you that you have gathered us together as a household of your people. As we come to your word now, I pray that I might speak to it faithfully and without partiality, that we might each honour you in the roles you have given us. Amen. I feel we often complain about leaders, but we want leadership. You know, even something as basic as going to the beach with friends, we want someone to make a decision about where we're going and when. And preferably, we'd like someone else to make the decision so we don't have to be responsible. You know, right now, as we live through this COVID pandemic, we want our leaders to take control of the situation and to make decisions and to lead us through this crisis. So we want leadership. Uh, We expect a lot from our leaders, but I think there's been a massive shift in how we respect our leaders. It's very easy to sit at home and to have an opinion, and these days we can jump on social media and express our opinion and sometimes express that opinion very forcefully. And there's always an expert who claims to know better than all the other experts. Now, certainly leaders get it wrong uh, sometimes, Uh, But even when they get it right, it's just not possible to do all the things that everyone wants all the time. And sometimes what I want is completely the opposite to what you want. And sometimes what I want isn't what I need. And so if that's what's happening around us in society, then it's good to now spend some time in God's Word to, to look at, well, how should we be functioning together? How should we live as a community and how should we respond to our leaders? As we've worked our way through this letter to Timothy, leadership has certainly been a recurring theme. 
And Paul expects a lot from leaders. So we've read how overseers are to be above reproach when it comes to their conviction as a follower of Christ. And they are to be people of character. So faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And they should have a reputation as a good leader of their family because they're about to take on the responsibility of leading God's family and God's household. And they need to be a person who teaches God's word faithfully and who's willing to stand up against those who would teach God's word falsely. They need to set an example for the believers in speech, conduct, love, faith and purity. That is a pretty daunting list of expectations. Uh, Imagine uh, you meet a collector of Ferraris and he hands you the key to his prized Ferrari. Now there's a story behind this Ferrari. This Ferrari was owned by Enzo Ferrari himself. And he gave it as a gift to his personal secretary. And when that personal secretary died, it was left unknown uh, in this garage, in this tiny village on the Amalfi Coast. And this collector sorted out, he found it, and then he painstakingly restores it. And then he gives you the keys and he says, I want you to look after it and I want you to drive it because it's a car and it was made to be driven. Now, I reckon if that was me, I would take that responsibility pretty seriously. I might even go so far as to read the owner's manual. But at the end of the day, this is just a car. Admittedly, a very pretty car, but it's just a car. Now, if we treat something like a car as precious, imagine how we should treat something as precious as God's household. Yeah, this is a group of people that God has restored at a terrible price. God sees us at our absolute worst. He sees not just our actions, but the depravity of our heart. And he still loves us. He still chooses to allow his son to die on the cross in our place. And he chooses to lift us up out of the muck and the mire of our sin and to place our feet on solid ground. And he places us beside our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he calls some to lead that community of people, to lead what he has restored and what is precious to him. And as I think about that, that is just such an overwhelming expectation. Who can ever possibly live up to that sort of responsibility? Uh, But I do take comfort from Paul because he recognises the weight of that responsibility. He writes about it in his letter to the Corinthians. And he says this, He says, I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So we should expect a lot from our leaders, and our leaders should feel the weight of that responsibility. And at the same time, we take comfort knowing that God's Spirit is guiding us and helping us. But if we're going to expect a lot from our leaders, then they also deserve respect. So picking up our passage in verse 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. 
So there is a mutual responsibility within the church. Honour doesn't mean unquestioning loyalty. And so last week, for example, we saw Timothy uh, commanded to rebuke older men, but at the same time to treat them with honour and respect, to treat them as a son would treat a father. And it's the same with us and leaders. It's not about whether, again, whether we agree or disagree all the time, but how we engage with one another and do we give due honour to our leaders. So if we're talking to leaders, the message is we need to be trustworthy and worthy of respect and worthy of honour. We can't simply demand it. uh, We need to earn it. Uh, It needs to be given. But if we're talking to those we are leading then the message is that we should begin from a position of trust, giving uh, our leaders the the gracious assumption that they are trustworthy and we should support them in their leadership. And if things do go wrong and the wheels start to fall off, then we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. But let's start with leaning forward with a sense of anticipation rather than leaning back with a sense of scepticism. And one way we honour our leaders is by looking after them financially. So it says in our passage today, For scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. We know that Paul often worked to support himself in ministry, and he did that because he didn't want anything to be an obstacle to the gospel. He didn't want anyone to confuse his motivation. It was never about money, and it was always about honouring Christ and wanting to see Christ honoured. So Paul chose not to be paid, but at the same time, he acknowledges and recognises that those who are leading in the church deserve to be paid. And when we pay someone, we're acknowledging and honouring their value and skill and contribution. We're acknowledging the responsibility that comes with the role. And at the same time, it creates accountability. So when we pay someone to do a job, there's an expectation that they will deliver on that job. But financial support also works on a very practical level because it acknowledges that leadership and teaching takes time. So if you have to work full time, then that only leaves so much time left for ministry. And so as a church, we've chosen to set aside some people so they can devote themselves full time to the role. And our goal is, and our our hope and our prayer is, that that will have a greater impact for the sake of the gospel. So we pay people to do ministry, but just as significantly, we pay people to lead ministry. So when you contribute financially to our church, it's not like you're paying for a cleaner. The whole idea of paying for a cleaner is you're paying for someone to do a job that you don't want to do. For each of us, we've been given gifts and abilities and skills that we are called to use for the sake of the gospel. And we can't outsource that responsibility. And part of my role is to help each of us to work together and to harness all of that skill and resource that God has given us and to use that and to channel it for the sake of the gospel. And so that's my responsibility. It's the responsibility of the staff. It's the responsibility of our wardens and our parish council that we can work together to create a single coherent purpose. And that means choosing uh, to do some good ideas, but also means choosing to not do some good ideas. Uh, There's an episode in The Simpsons where uh, Homer designs a car. And so what he does is he he goes and he picks all the best features of all his favourite cars, uh, which sounds like a brilliant idea, but what he ends up with 
is really just this sort of monstrosity of a vehicle. Uh, we can't simply do every good idea. It just doesn't work. Uh, we've got to work through all of the good ideas and prayerfully ask, what is the thing that God wants us to do in this place at this time? And part of making the most of the good ideas is making sure that we are equipped for the task. So certainly if we have skills and abilities, that's fantastic. But we then want to nurture those skills and equip one another so that we can use them as effectively as possible. So we honour our leaders by paying them and we honour our leaders by giving them the same protection that we give everyone else. So verse 18. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. We heard this principle laid out in our Deuteronomy reading. It's not special consideration for our leaders. In fact, it's completely the opposite. Paul is saying our leaders should have the same fair treatment that everyone else gets. And I think that's particularly important for leaders because they're an easy target. It's a principle that recognises that people are fallible. Uh, Sometimes we get it wrong. But it also recognises that people are sinful. And that means we can say and do all sorts of spiteful, vindictive, malicious things when we don't like someone or when we feel that person has hurt us or where we feel that person is leading us in in the wrong direction. And so our leaders deserve the same protection as everyone else and they deserve to be treated fairly. That said, I've heard this verse used in the recent Royal Commission on sexual abuse in institutions as justification for not investigating accusations. And I think that requires a particularly sort of wooden reading of this text. You know, Paul is writing a letter to Timothy. He's not writing a thesis on, you know, legal process. So to take this one verse as sort of the definitive, you know, explanation of how we should approach accusations, I think is too simplistic. Secondly, the church is not the legal authority of the land. So if it's an issue of morality, then that is something for us and we can respond to that internally. But if a leader is accused of doing something illegal, then actually that's a matter for the police. And so we should do everything in our power to support the police investigating. I think thirdly, whether it's moral or legal, the victim might be the only witness in that particular situation. But that doesn't mean that there aren't other witnesses who can sort of start to build part of the picture or other people who have experienced the same behaviour. And so can I encourage anyone, if you experience uh, behaviour in our church from a leader in any way that you feel is immoral or illegal, then please bring it to us. If it's a matter of morality, then we will investigate. And if it's a matter of it being illegal, then we will support you going to the police and we will support them in their investigation. And if a leader is found to have acted inappropriately, then verse 20. Those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that others may take warning. So we should honour our leaders, but leaders should also be accountable. Again, this isn't a substitute for our legal system, but if a leader's conduct is sinful and serious, then we should bring it before our church community and we should acknowledge what has happened and we should condemn it. Now, that is a big call. That's going to have a huge impact on that person. That's going to be humiliating. And so we don't do that lightly. And you certainly want to make sure 
that we get it right. So we need to administer that sort of accountability carefully. And in the words of Timothy, keep these instructions without partiality and do nothing out of favouritism. So we cannot unfairly target a person simply because we don't like them. And equally, we can't ignore behaviour simply because we do like them. And that partiality starts with who we choose to be in leadership in the first place. So verse 22. Do not be hasty in laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Leaders who appoint leaders hold at least some responsibility for who they appoint. And if we knowingly appoint someone who is inappropriate for the role, then that is a sin. Uh, We might do it out of personal loyalty. We might do it because everyone else is supportive and so we just don't want to rock the boat and we go with the flow. And we might do it out of desperation. We don't have anyone else willing to take up the role. A friend of mine often said, a no leader is better than a bad leader. And certainly that's a principle that we have tried to adopt here at church. And so Paul's encouraging Timothy to keep himself pure. Don't get caught up in the sins of others by appointing the wrong person for the wrong reason. Or for that matter, the wrong person for the right reason. But of course, keeping yourself pure doesn't mean you can't have a little wine. So Paul says, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Now this seems like a very strange verse in the context. It seems like almost like sort of Paul's had this little thought bubble moment. You know, oh, squirrel. And then he sort of comes back to the passage. Uh, But let's just presume for a moment that this actually does fit into the flow of Paul's argument. And I think we can understand it when we read it in the context of the principle of the weaker brother. So this is what Paul writes in Romans. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. We know there were some in Ephesus who believed that abstaining from certain foods was a mark of godliness, and perhaps that extended to wine as well. So Paul is writing to Timothy here, and he's saying, keep yourself pure, but abstaining from wine, either as a form of godliness or for the sake of the weaker brother, isn't necessary. I think it's kind of the equivalent of saying, you know, take a Panadol for a headache. And I don't think anyone is going to misconstrue you taking a Panadol as an endorsement for cocaine. Now, I don't know whether a little wine settles the stomach or not, but Paul is saying here that for the sake of Timothy, this is not going to be a stumbling block for others and it will be good for him. And so finally, Paul concludes this section with a word of warning, but also encouragement. And in many respects, it ties together everything that's come before it. You know, what should we expect of leaders? How do we respect leaders? And what does that look like in a community that's still marred by the realities of sin? And so verse 24, the sin of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sin of others trails behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. Sometimes our sin is clearly seen in the moment, and when that happens, uh, we need to be held accountable. But often we feel we get away with it. No one sees what we have done in secret. But inevitably, it will come out. If it comes out in this lifetime, then it doesn't just cause hurt in the moment, 
It makes us question our whole experience with that person and the authenticity of that experience. And if it never comes out in this lifetime, then it will certainly come out as we stand before God and as we're accountable for our sin. That's the negative. Uh, But the positive is just as powerful when we do good deeds for one another. And we all certainly love it when people do good for us and we're so thankful for that. And equally, we love seeing the impact we can have on others as well. And certainly as Christians love one another, it's a testament to the world about God's grace and goodness. And just like evil, sometimes our good goes unnoticed. It's a bit like the person who waters the plants. No one ever sort of sees the person watering the plants, but you certainly see the impact as those plants thrive. And often we only see people's good deeds in retrospect. They're just a thousand little things, you know, a thousand little acts of generosity and mercy and compassion, but they all add up to have a huge impact. And again, if no one sees our good deeds in this lifetime, then we know that God sees them and God takes pleasure in them as he sees us live out the salvation that he has given us. Clearly, we should expect a lot from our leaders, but we also need to respect a lot. And when we get both of those working well together, then what we end up with is a supported, healthy, accountable leader And that's going to impact their capacity to lead, but it's also going to impact our community and our life together and our gospel impact. You know, I'm so thankful for the support I have within our church community. I certainly feel respected. And that certainly, from from my perspective, makes life a lot easier, makes ministry a real joy. But I, I hope we can see the benefit of that together, that as we all grow together, then that will help us individually, it'll help us collectively, but it'll also mean that we'll have the greatest impact possible in our community. You know, we have been exceptionally blessed by God and God has given us so much. And so our responsibility now is to use what he has given us and to use it well. So let me pray that we might do that together. Dear Lord, I pray for myself and for the other leaders here at church that we might live up to the responsibility that you have given us. Help us to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Help us to flee temptation and keep us from sin. I pray as a church that we might be united in Christ and committed to supporting our leaders so that we might honour what you have brought together and together serve you more effectively. Amen.